Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The NBA is on TuneIn, streaming every NBA game around the globe. It's time to bring you the confrontational frontcourt of Michael Rappaport and Karan Butler. We'll go to the hole. There he is. There's the shooter. Bingo! That's a new record for a quarter. He's unconscious, folks. This is Two Man Weave, live from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, on the NBA on TuneIn, your home for the NBA Finals. All right. This is the two-man weave. We got Karan Butler here. We are in Austin, Texas, South by Southwest. I want to take this moment to thank all the indie bands in the area for not playing any music temporarily. My name is Michael Rapport. Filling in for Kenyon Martin is somebody I'm excited to talk about. Two-time NBA All-Star, NBA champion, Mr. Karan Butler. Thanks for having me here, baby. Appreciate it. Thanks for the love, Austin. You're now rocking with the best. We're not talking analytics. We're not talking uh, measurements and all that stuff. We're talking facts. We're talking opinions. Tough juice. Rookie, rookie year, you played with the Miami Heat. You got drafted out of UConn. This tournament, this Big East tournament, this NCAA tournament, what was this like? What's your fondest memory of being in the, uh, the, 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 the March Madness of it all and, and being successful? This, you know, having your back against the wall and, like, just, you know, lose or go home, win and excel, I thought that was the great, like, that was a great environment to be in because we didn't have expectations on our team because the year before we went to the NIT, but it was a great experience because you know, coming from a prestigious university like UConn, we're not used to being in that in that tournament. And, mm. you know, so I learned from that. And that summer, I, I took a lot of 
you know, um, a different approach, like in my health, you know, in my weight, staying in a good rhythm, staying in a good flow, playing with the USA team that summer, went to China, you know, won a gold medal, came back. I was prepared. I was in basketball mode, so mm. I already hit the ground running. And then I was able, I was ready, and I was able and fortunate to lead my ball club, you know, forward. And then we went to the Elite Eight, and we lost to the, you know, the champs, you know, of Maryland. You know, they took it all the way. You know, it was a Hail Mary three-pointer by Blake. Uh, he hit Steve Blake. He hit a, a, a big-time shot in that moment. But, you know, we left it all out there on the court, and it was an amazing feeling. All right, Karan Butler, my man Tufters, I'm going to throw this at you, throw you for a little loop here, okay? I remember seeing you when you were in, your, when you were in the league. I, I don't remember what brought it. I, I believe you were, the season was going on. You were on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And, and at this point, you were still in the league. I, I don't remember what happened to get you on the show. But, you know, you were talking about being an NBA player. You, you were young. And, and you were telling your story. It was very emotional, very genuine. It's the first time I saw you off the court. About a week later, now I'm going to throw you for a loop here. And I know you know where I'm going here. You may not. This is, you got to, because this had been, this would have been, been one of the best social media moments of all time. But this is before Twitter and all that stuff. About a week later, two weeks later, Halle Berry, single Halle Berry, yes. goes on Jay Leno. And Jay Leno's like asking her questions. And he didn't even bring up Karan Butler. She was like, you know, I saw Karan Butler on here two weeks ago. Ooh. And that's who I'm checking for. So she was basically shouting you out. My question is, and has they, first of all, has anybody connected those dots or is that just me? It changed the dynamic of my household for a minute. Break it down. I mean, how She basically that? shouted you out. She was yeah. basically like, yo, slide up in the DMs, but there was no DMs to slide up, slide up into. Come on, man. That's Catwoman. Dorothy Dandridge. And she, you know, she gave me a shout-out. It I'm wasn't a shout-out, my man. That was an invitation. <laughs> There's a difference between a shout-out and an invitation. And, and I, I was were, watching the show. Were you a married man at this point? I was engaged. Okay, you were engaged. Now, now, your, 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 your wife and, and your, like... I was like, still trying to figure it out. Okay. Now, did the players... You were what, what team? Were you with the Wizards I, at this time? I was with the Lakers. Okay, you were with the Lakers. Now... That got around quick. I, I couldn't have been the only one that caught that. Hey, when I came in the locker room, they was like, what you going to do? <laughs> she, 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 it wasn't a shout out. I'm a fan. It was like, yo, dude, this is before the DM. This was like, yo, Karan Butler. There ain't no other Karan. There ain't no other Karan Butler. Holler at me. This is me, Halle Berry. I'm on Jay Leno. She was looking in the, yo, I was like, yo, my man, Karan Butler. He's, he's about to put in that work. <laughs> Because rarely, everybody's like, Halle Berry, Halle Berry. Halle Berry was like, uh, tough juice. I want to drink some of that tough juice. <laughs> this is the two-man weave. Karan Butler is a married man. I just thought that that was a very, very uh, important part of pre-social media pop culture. I mean, I, I don't even, I'm just going to jump in with you, your career. You played, you had a very, very, very prolific NBA career. You played with people by the names of Kobe, uh, Dirk, uh, Lamar. Dwayne Wade. I'll just throw this at you. Jason Kidd. I mean, these, these is, this is a fantastic uh, you know, list of... I, there's so many questions. Forget the best. Maybe the best and the talented are the same thing. Who's the most talented basketball player? Or top three, just talent basketball player you ever played with? I asked Chauncey Billup this one time, and he said just on talent... He said that it was J.R. Smith. You know, he did say he might not have been the best player, but he said when you just look at the talent level. So when you look at talent, it, and it could be Kobe. I mean, he was 
pretty pretty special. Who's the most talented players that you could just over the top of your head? Some of the names that jump out immediately. <clears throat> Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and obviously Kobe Bryant. But then I, I, I played with a I played with a young Blake Griffin. I played with a young DeAndre Jordan. Uh, I played with uh, a healthy Gilbert Arenas. Mm. I played with, you know, uh, Antoine Jameson when he was scoring 22 points a game with, without holding the ball three seconds per catch, just flicking it in. You know what I mean? Like, I played with some of the multi-Hall of Famers in this game of basketball, you know, over the years. So those are some of the names that just jump out immediately at me. I mean, that, that Wizards team, it was you, Gilbert, Antoine, the original big three, Deshaun Stevenson, Nick Young, a young JaVel McGee. He never looked young. JaVel McGee at 20, he must have looked, he always looked like he was 40. I mean, the, 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 that, those teams were competitive. And, 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 and then the Gilbert Arenas of it all. How good was Gilbert before those injuries? I mean, Gilbert had to stretch for like two years where he probably was the, the best player in the game of basketball. And I think he was a guy that was before his time. Because if you look at, you know, social media and everything like that, he was like one of the guys blogging and doing stuff like that before it was even popular. So you see, you see Gilbert doing those type of things and then still going out there and putting on a demonstration. Like before we went to the Boston Garden, I, I'll never forget this. You had fans chanting about an article or something that he published right before we had played them. You know, talking about the fans of Boston and something like that. And he goes out there and he scores 40-plus points or whatever the case may be. But just his popularity was unbelievable, agent zero. And, and, I mean, for me, I always thought, like, his story was very well documented. He was very open about, you know, how he came up. And he was very emotional. And then this crazy incident, which, I, you know, it's like I don't want to go over it or even for you to try to get into psychology. But this whole thing with showing up with the guns in the locker room, I was like... It, to me, from what I knew as a fan about about Gilbert Arenas, I was like, why? What? How did this? It went so wrong so fast, and there was really no coming back from it. I mean, even even the guys that were involved in the 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 the, the melee uh, in in Detroit were able to come back, but Gilbert was never able to come back. It just seemed like that just set off so many bad things, you know, in his career. Like, wh what was that like? How much of a how much of a a backlash and how chaotic did it get? In Washington during that during that time, I think he was so talented he could have come back and overcome anything. I just think that the injury to his to his knee this you know took precedent and he wasn't able to you know sustain or perform you know at that level no more because of that injury and it has hindered him. And you know he's one of the best talents I ever seen on the court. And you know it was just unfortunate that his career was short you know shortened because of that injury. And 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 going into another talent. Dwayne Wade, a young Dwayne Wade, and you played with a young Lamar Odom, who in my opinion was a freak. You talk about unicorns. You talk about 6'11", maybe 7 feet, 6'10", whatever he was. Lucky lefty. Left-handed, handled the ball, um, was unselfish with the ball, could shoot the ball. I, I feel like he was unselfish to a fault almost. Absolutely. You know, I think if he had been more of an aggressive uh, scorer, you know, his impact on the game would have been, you know, even more. I mean, what, how good was Lamar in his prime? He was unbelievable, man. He was he was six foot ten, six foot eleven. You know, somebody that can pull up. You know, create his own shot. He had uh, unbelievable gift of, you know, facilitating. 
And what I mean by facilitating is, you know, passing the ball and making other people better. I think that that was his real traditional gift. You know, he was a guy that can rebound extremely well with, you know, some of the biggest bigs in the game. But not only just rebound, create a rebound into a transitional play. You take it off the backboard, you push it up, you get guys to fill the lane. And, you know, he just probe and bring it up and facilitates and find the open guy. They make shots. I think in this era right now uh, that we're in, yeah. Lamar would be like uh, a GM's dream. Uh, you know what I mean? I think he was obviously before his time, but when the time that he played in, he was a special player. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he was special uh, when I saw you know footage of him in high school, and then he was at Rhode Island. And, and as soon as he came into the league, you were just like, it to me, the fact that you know he was never like the quickest dude, and the, the, to see somebody that tall handle the ball. He looked and he had the mentality of a magic. Yeah. You know, because the way he handled it, he just loved to pass. And I always just like, I feel like this guy could be a little bit more selfish, you know, and, and score more. Um, but he just was, you know, such a great talent. And then and then Dwayne Wade down in Miami, your last year. And now you, you mentioned earlier that you're friends with him. It's one of my best friends right there. He actually just texted me and, you know. What, was he looking for me? Yeah, he, he was looking for me. Now, listen, Dave, do you wait, <laughs> what does he want? He wants the 20 bucks? He's not getting the 20 bucks today. you owe him some money, man. All right. Now, how good was Dwayne Wade? What makes him so special? And, I mean, to me, like, when he first came into the league, he had that it factor in terms of he was a winner. He was a winner, and, and you saw it right away. Like, he put, he put his, his uh, cojones on the line early, and, and, and he, you just saw it right away. Like, he went from Marquette to an NBA pro. The transition was smooth. He always was a big moment, big time player. He knew how to perform unbelievably well in the moment. And I'm going to tell you about Dwayne Wade. When he came, he was playing off the ball. We had a point guard, you know, and we had a system who facilitated everything. But once we put the ball in Dwayne Wade's hand and put him at the point guard, he was bringing the ball up the court. That's when Flash was born because he was a guy that was able to split defenses. You know what I mean? And that's when you first saw that. You saw a guy holding the ball, bringing the ball up the court at the guard position, a big guard position, splitting the defense, getting into the paint, and doing all the little things, maneuvering. And I think Dwayne Wade was like one of the first of his kind, and that's why he's one of the top three two guards of all time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, he, he just went down. He, he's out for the rest of the season. You know, this, this season's been, you know, touch and go with Chicago. I felt like they could have squeezed into the seventh or eighth seed. They're with, officially out now. Yeah, with that big three and the Rajon Rondo of it all, which I just don't understand. I, I feel like Rajon Rondo, as talented as he is, he, it's getting to a point where it's like you might have to call Steph Marbury up and see if we got a spot for you on the China team because at a certain point, the talent – uh, it doesn't match the pain in the butt. We'll be right back here at NBA on TuneIn. I'm Rapport Stereo Podcast, is sponsored by Casper Mattress. Casper, the award-winning, obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Casper is made in the United States. You can try a Casper mattress for 100 nights risk-free in your home. If you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you everything. Listen to me. We're not selling mattresses just to sell mattresses. I sleep on a Casper mattress every single night. Great pricing and a great product. It's risk-free, okay? If you don't like it, they will pick it up and refund you everything. There's over 20,000 reviews online with an average of 4.8 stars. Casper is quickly 
becoming the internet's most popular mattress. I can say for myself, it's Michael Rappaport, the Gringo Mandingo's most popular, favorite, and only mattress. Go to www.casper.com forward slash Rappaport. Use the promo code Rappaport. Save $50 towards any mattress purchase. They have sheets. They have pillows. And I said it once. I'll say it again. They have doggy beds. They have doggy mattresses at Casper. Go to www.casper.com forward slash Rappaport. Gamertag Radio is headed to E3 2017. E3 is one of the biggest events for Gamertag Radio, and you don't want to miss this. Join host Danny Pena, Paris Lilly, and Peter Toledo direct from the convention center floor. What are the plans for Microsoft? We're going to see more new titles from Sony PlayStation. And how about Nintendo? Interviews, roundtable discussions, previews, hand-on impressions, and more. E3 2017 coverage on Gamertag Radio. June 11th through the 15th. Gamertagradio.com or play.it forward slash Gamertag. NBA on TuneIn, coming live and direct from Austin, Texas. You've been very uh, open, controversial, and diligent about this whole greatest of all time. This is a conversation that'll be had from the end of time. Now listen. Here we go. I've been very public about my frustrations with LeBron James off the court. Now I'm not going to sit here and say that he's the greatest ever. I know that people's memories are are very short. You know, we're watching him right now. Michael Jordan, in my opinion, is the greatest ever. He never lost in a finals. He never was even pushed to a game seven finals. Preach. Who's the greatest player of all time? And forget who the greatest player of all time is, because we, we both agree it's Jordan. Michael Who's Jordan. The second greatest player of all time. Second greatest player of all time. Kareem. Okay. You look at Kareem's body of work from high school, college, NBA, all-time leading scorer. Yes, with no three-pointer. With no three-pointer. Signature shot. His body of work is just unprecedented. Where does your guy Kobe Bryant lay in this? I mean, it's so hard. It's so The positions, the errors is different. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, people are like, I'll be the first to say that I love Kobe, but when you talk about going to the finals six times in a row, he's going to go again seven times. He makes players better. You played against LeBron. You played with Kobe. Kobe did it with an iron fist, sort of in a Michael Jordan way. I feel like if there's the biggest weakness Kobe Bryant had is that he didn't know how to get the best out of his players. I feel like he didn't have the iron fist technique down totally. Where does Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, live in this greatest of all time? See, I, I think this is the thing. A lot of people jump, jump over the legacy of Kobe Bryant. Why? That's a good question. Why? Because the now, you know, because of, you know, social media and because what you see now. A lot of people start tuning in to basketball relatively late. Yes. And they start seeing the, the declining of Kobe Bryant and the injuries and you know, they heard about the body of work or they saw some of the, the big-time shots and things like that, so they judge off of that. And then you see the rise in the prime of, of one LeBron James, who's a great player and, you know, obviously in the top ten all time. But, you know, make no mistake, Kobe Bryant is a five-time NBA champion. I yes. repeat, 
a five-time NBA champion. He's the top two two guards to ever play the game. Number one being Michael Jordan. He surpassed Michael Jordan on the top three scoring list all time. So I would have to say that if you're just like if you're doing a top five and you're not saying position and you're just saying body of work, you would say Michael Jordan, you would say Kareem, you're not doing position, nothing like that. You can put Kobe in the top five if you're just not saying I need a point guard, a two guard, a forward, a four, a five. If you're just saying this players, yes. like like if I'm going to the park and I'm just like, I just need somebody to put in work. I just need I need a bucket. Like who you gonna ask? Hey, if I need a bucket, like, huh? Look, I'm, Mike, I, give me a. Yeah, bucket. I'm gonna pass it back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not gonna give it to me if you need a bucket. Like, if you need you a. Need, you need a spit bucket yeah. or a bucket of water or a bucket to put your mop in. I'm your guy. Yeah, but like. If you if, need two points. I'm throwing the ball back. I might not even catch it. I might headbutt it back. You'll set a pick. Yeah, I, I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. So I, I think I think I, I think like that, and I would have to say, you know, I can't jump over the legacy of Kobe, so. I would have to say Kobe, and then I had to say everybody else. Now, you played with Kobe, played against Kobe. What's your best Kobe story when you played against him? When I played against him, I would have to say, you know, going to the Staples Center and, and, and winning a game, and I, obviously we was clowns. We was, you know, celebrating a little bit too much, you know, uh, feeling real good because Kobe is the best player of our generation, and whenever you beat him, it's big stage. You, you, you enjoy it. You celebrate but, you know, him coming back, you know, to Washington and, you know, jump tip ball, you know, he get fouled on the play. You know, he's, he's like 48. You know, he's counting down backwards, you know. And I'm like, shit, what the, what the hell 48 mean? Like, you know, what, what, that's, what is that about? Well, he made his free throws. Yeah, 48, 47. You know, he's counting backwards from 50. So, basically, he's letting us know that he's going to drop a 50 ball on us tonight. <laughs> You know that's the that's the greatness of a Kobe Bryant, and that. How much that, did he drop on you? I think he had forty-eight or fifty, but that just lets you know like he's he's different. You know what I mean? Like, no, he was counting backwards on you guys <laughs> from jump ball. And who was checking him the whole night? All of you. We everybody. The, everybody. And the, guarding the a hot Kobe Bryant. Everybody. And a Kobe Bryant in his prime. What is that like? I mean, you're all great. You're in the NBA. You're all fantastic. You're all freaks of basketball. You're all guys that could sit on a court and make 50 shots in a row naked in the gym. But Kobe Bryant is what compared to just every single person? He's different. He's just different. You know what I mean? Like, you saw Kobe Bryant at the back end of his career drop 60 points in the game. This is after injuries. Dropped 60 points in this farewell game. Now, that was a little bit of, of a, 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 an amalgamation because it was like you're going to score 60 points, but he made 60 points on like 160 shots. They, they were I playing scored, defense. I could have scored they, 30 they with that many defense. shots. Karai, I mean, they still was playing defense. Okay, but I could have went to – if I wanted to see a Broadway show, I could have went to go see that Schlock Hamilton if instead of go seeing that. I mean, I it's know, a great story. I but. know people that can't go to the YMCA right now. And score 60. I can't. 
I definitely and did. And he did that in the NBA game where the Utah Jazz was playing hard. Right. No, you're right. You're right. Despite the fact that he was Despite, chucking. Yeah, because it's like the, his name was Chucky. It's the moment. Because I got you. He 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 performed in the moment like he always do. He's I a showsman, you. and he came up and he put on a demonstration. And I'm no disrespect to Kobe. I love Kobe. But I wasn't one of these people that was that impressed with that last game. But you are right. They are playing defense. And the Utah Jazz is not there to, uh, you know, get the 60 handed to you. Listen, it's the NBA on TuneIn. Now I want to ask you, what is it like to guard LeBron James? A young LeBron James. The Wizards and the Cavaliers... They had some battles. You had your guy, Deshaun Stevenson, one of the first dudes in the league to have a tattoo on his face. <laughs> but you were, you, you were switching up. You were, you were, you were dealing with LeBron. What, what is he like? What kind of a problem is he? One of the toughest matchups ever because you can try to go about it many different ways. But when you try to, when you try to make him a facilitator, you have to understand that that's his biggest asset. He's, he's great at passing. He's not a great scorer, but he can score, and that's crazy to say because he's an all-time scorer right now. He's probably going to get to second all-time before he's finished playing. Wow. And he's doing that just because he's just a great player. You know what I mean? All-around player. We probably won't see anything like him again all around. You know, he's so big. Um, he was a guy that was just a physical specimen like nothing i ever seen before. You know what I mean? Like his contact, he loved the physical contact. He really understood the game at a young age. Right. You know what I mean? Like we caught him where the personnel wasn't assembled around him probably as best as he probably would like. But at the same time, he made those guys, he made below average players, above average players. And that's what you can appreciate about his greatness. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you can't argue with that. And, and that's one of the things, as much as I love Kobe and as much as I really, truly can't stand you know, LeBron's off-the-court stuff. And I don't mean behavior. I mean the, the switching teams and all that foolishness. That's the thing that I, got, I get most frustrated with, with LeBron James. You, you know, you could take him and put him on the Brooklyn Nets, give them a month of practice, and they're going to be contenders in, in this Eastern Conference right now. They're definitely going to make the playoffs. Like right off the bat. Yeah, because he, 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 he understands the, the, the psyche of – Guys, younger guys in particular, he understands how to win. He know how to get the job done. Like I was talking to Mav, you know, one of LeBron's, you know, close friends, and he was just like, he's the Steve Jobs of the NBA. He's not, he's not Michael Jordan. Michael, oh. jo Michael Jordan is something different. You know what I mean? But he's the Steve Jobs of the NBA. You know what I mean? Like he gets it. He he understands how to bring business to the game. He he gets it on all aspects of the game, and you know he's going to be the first billionaire basketball player active in the history of the game. I mean, I, I, you can't argue with it, and, and, and he totally deserves it and what he's done for the game. And I know that, you know, I've talked to uh, Kenyon and Steve, Steven Jackson uh, about him on, on the two-man weave, and, and they both, you know, mentioned a lot of the stuff that he does for the players' union and, and him and Chris Paul, like, fighting for players' rights. Absolutely. So, so I, I'm a lone wolf when it comes to talking crap about uh, LeBron James, uh, but obviously I respect the game. I've been doing a lot of talking. But Pose, I've been doing my 60 minutes uh, imitation here, Karan. You said you had some questions for me, Michael Ravport. What do you want to know? My take on the NBA? What do you, what do you want from me? Uh, yeah, I, I respect your take and I, I love your take. But I want to know, how did you get in the business of 
acting. Is that something that you always wanted to do? Like, I, I caught your movie Zebra back in the day. Yes, I was sir. a huge fan of yours. Yes. Still is. You know, so I wanted to know, like, how did you get into that business? You know what? I'll be honest with you. When I was nine years old, 1979, I, had, I was always into sports. I played sports my whole life. But after or during the NCAA tournament with Magic and Bird, I decided at nine years old I was going to be in the NBA. That, that, that tournament leading up to it, I decided I was going to be in the NBA. I was going to play. I, I gave up baseball and football. Okay? People were sad. And I dedicated my life to playing basketball. Like, I loved basketball. And growing up in New York at that time, in the streets of New York, playing in the streets of New York, it took me to a whole other world. Because, you know, where I'm from, there wasn't that much competition. I became the best player in my neighborhood quick, which says a lot about the neighborhood. <laughs> then I, I, I met my, my, my good friend, G. Moody, last name rhymes with duty, the 2015 podcast coach of the year. Show him some love. Show him some love. And we were kids, and we just we met playing ball down at, at the Madison Square Boys Club. And at that time, uh, I, I met also Kenny Anderson, an 11-year-old Kenny Anderson. Oh. Who was, you knew, no, no bull crap. You know, people evolve differently. But at 11 years old, I can tell you, Kenny Anderson, you knew he was going to be a professional basketball player. The way he handled the basketball at 11 years old was as if it was like, uh, a fish swimming. It was incredible to watch. But going back to, to, to me, um, you know, basketball was my life and, and playing ball was my life. And, and, you know, when I was about 16, 17, I started to realize, like, I'm not going to make the NBA. I'm not even going to get a college scholarship. But throughout my, my life, I'd always been a big trash talker. I always, you know, was, it was always, I was always comfortable with making people laugh. And, and, and I loved movies. I never wanted to be in them. I wanted to be like the characters. So when I started feeling like, you know, what am I going to do with my life? You know, Eddie Murphy, this is in the 80s when Eddie Murphy was, talk about people forget, Eddie Murphy was the star when the stars were Michael Jackson, you know, Madonna, Prince. Eddie Murphy, young Eddie Murphy on Shining Life was that guy, and I, like, loved him. And then when I was 18, 19, I said, you know what, I'm going to try to do stand-up comedy, and I'm going to try to do it one time, and if I can make one person laugh, I'm going to do it again. And I did that. I started doing stand-up comedy, and then, and then I, from being on stage as a stand-up comedy, I was never Chris Rock. I was never great. Was you nervous? I wasn't nervous. And that was the thing about doing stand-up comedy. And that's why I knew, like, doing stand-up comedy and inevitably acting, like, when I played bowl, I had nerves. When I did stand-up comedy the very first time, I wasn't nervous. When I acted the very first time, it's probably the way it is for you when you play basketball. It's like, it's natural to you. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're in your zone, when you're, the big moments come. Obviously, there's jitters, but when you start playing, and as much as I practice, as much as I love basketball, like, it never was, like, it never came natural in terms of, like, that, that natural gift. I love the game. I love playing. I love practicing. But as soon as I did stand-up comedy, the very first time, I was 19, I wasn't nervous. I didn't, it was like natural. And like when, you know, one of the things that I, I love about professional athletes, whether it's a basketball player, a fighter, um, a gymnast, you, they're so relaxed. You know, and when you watch great actors, and I'm not talking about myself, but when you watch like a Robert De Niro or a Benicio Del Toro or a Sean Penn or a Denzel, whoever you're into, a Meryl Streep, whatever you're into, they're so comfortable doing their thing. There's no nervousness. There's no, it's like in between action and cut, that's like a safe place. It's like when you're on a court, when you're grooving. So when I started acting, 
that was as comfortable as I had ever been doing anything. And I had played basketball. The first time I acted, it was literally the most natural thing for me. And I've been playing sports and basketball my whole life. So I knew, like, this is what I want to do. And it was, like, something, like, I just thrived on. And I still continue to thrive on it. And, you know, the business of acting and the business of show, you know, and I've been doing it so long, it's a whole other animal. It's a pain, a pain in the butt. But in between action and cut when I'm doing my thing, it's the closest thing I could compare it to is sex. It's euphoric. It's like when you're in the zone, when you're playing ball and you got somebody on skates and like you're not thinking about anything else. And for me, when I'm doing my thing, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm acting in between action and cut, it's the same thing for like an athlete, I imagine. Yeah, that's deep. Yeah, so that, that's, that's how I got into it. And, and you know, my basketball kept me on the straight and narrow because, you know, at, at 9, 10, 11, 12, even into my teens, like I wasn't really even paying attention hardcore into girls until I was 16 because you play ball, you don't have time for a girlfriend. You play ball, you don't drink, you don't smoke. I'm going to be in the NBA. So I had a plan, I had a focus. And although I didn't get, you know, I didn't get there, the friends that I made, the, the relationships that I made, um, the, the, the tenacity and the intensity of playing basketball, I took that mentality to what I do as an actor in terms of the competitiveness. It's totally different, but the competitiveness of being an actor, especially a young actor with auditioning and all that, like to me it was like, yo, game's on the line. You have to go in there and do your thing. So like all that prepared me, and it's the way it worked out for me. But basketball was always my passion. I've been such a fan and, you know, fortunate enough to play in New York City when there was so many, so much great talent that I played with, the Kenny Andersons, the Malik Sealys, um, and watching Rod Strickland in high school. He was a problem. Uh, it was ridiculous. I mean, Rod Strickland, you know, I watched him play in this, this game called the Wheelchair Classic in high school. You know, it was, it was magical. You know, I'm watching um, um, Hurley play all over the city, watching Lloyd Daniels play, and, and you know, being in the park and playing with, you know, he wasn't playing competitive with me, but playing with World B Free, watching Pearl Washington play in the park. These are experiences that meant so much to me and, and, and shaped who I am today and 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 basketball specifically is something that like my passion and my love for that's why i get so critical and frustrated when i feel like the skinny genification of the league because i'm i'm afraid you know my father he's older he doesn't watch sports as much anymore and i understand like in his head it's like it's different but like when i watched that all-star game and i talked about this on your show on tuning when i watched that all-star game it's the first time in my life i have thought to myself Yo, I might not, I might not be rocking with this forever. Yeah, because I felt like obviously it's an All Star game, and we can't look into it too much. But you've been in All Star games; you have to at least give the impression of the impression that you care. Forget the celebrities and the Kevin Hart's and 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 and, and the Jay Z's and Beyonces that get their tickets for free and they get whisked to the game and whisked out. And no disrespect to them, the people that spend their money to go see that game—we know it's a show. But it ain't a magic show. Like, yo, we came to see you play basketball, man. It's disrespectful to the people that spent $500, take their kids, they're in the chief seats, and you guys are all laying around on the floor, all of them. I thought it was disgusting. The only ones who really played it like an appropriate Ulster game were Giannis and Russell Westbrook. The other guys, like, I just thought it was an embarrassment to the league. And to sit there and do it for four quarters the whole way through, and again, you're not going to play hard. It's an Ulster game. But you're sitting there in front of the great Dr. J, the great Bill Russell, who shows up in public uh, for some reason, he's never shaven or manicured. That's a different story. <laughs> but sit there in front of Willis Reed and these guys and do that for 48 minutes. It's a slap in the face to them. It's a slap in the face to the fans. You know what I mean? What did you think of this All-Star Weekend? The dunk contest was a joke. I thought it was unacceptable. 
And at the same Unacceptable, time, yeah, right? I thought it was, you know, and I think it's going to get addressed because, you know, you look at the president, you know, Chris Paul, you know, he reached out to Adam Silver. It's going to be some changes and, you know, it's warranted. So hopefully they move forward in the right direction and they will because Chris Paul, you know, he's at the helm. Yeah, I mean, I just think that it was just you take it too far. I know you guys have to take breaks. You know, you played 40 something games. You're going hard. It is a celebration. But at least the last two minutes of every quarter, give the play fake defense. There's a way to play fake defense. It usually the first half is usually, you know, you know, give or take. And then the second half is usually competitive. And then the fourth quarter, but the last four it's minutes. Super competitive. It's but, a joke, but man. But this game was just, it was just no defense, no nothing, just out there. And the slam dunk contest, you know, it's, it's like you, you, you're, you're sitting there doing these, you know, you're coming out there, you're not sweating. You know, you're coming out there, there's no sheen on you. You're in front of Dominique Wilkins. You're in front of Dr. J. Like, you, you're you better than Dr. J. You're better than Dominique Wilkins. Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan in that dunk contest, that was Ali Frazier. These guys were going. And this is one of the reasons why LeBron James, it's like you do all this craziness now in your 12th year. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it in his 12th or 11th year. I don't know how LeBron James has, has made it this far in his career. He's the only player in NBA history, good, bad, 12th man who's never had an injury. I would love to know what he's eating, drinking. I have no idea. I'm not saying anything, but I am saying I don't know how, how nobody else has ever, he's never broken a thumb. I literally saw him grow his arm back. Game seven, he tried to bang it on Golden State. I was like, yo, he broke his arm. By the time he shot his second free throw, he grew a new hand. I saw it. You got to watch it closely. Are you saying LeBron James a mutant? I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying I want to know. Everybody's talking about the diets. I, I talked to the great Brandon Marshall of the New York Giants. He's eating this. He's not eating that. You guys are with your diets and your tech and your analytics. What's this guy eating? I saw him grow a hand back. I'm not saying he's a mutant. I just want to know what he's eating, what he's drinking. I want to know what kind of powders he's putting in his potions. I need a little bit. Okay, Karan, I go to the bathroom. All bets are off. I've tweaked ankles. Just walk into the bathroom. He's Cleveland strong. Cleveland strong. What kind of water do they have in Cleveland strong? <laughs> it's the two-man weave here. All right. Where did you grow up, Karan? Racine, Wisconsin. Okay. Now, when I think of Wisconsin, I think of Happy Days. I think of Laverne Shirley. I think of Latrell Sprewell, and I think of you. Growing up, from that area. Latrell Sprewell, I mean, I'm sure there's been other ball players. There's other athletes, a lot of football players. Nick Van Axel, gosh, yeah. Nick the Quick. Yeah. Nick, but Latrell was the first. Yeah. What did he, what did that mean seeing somebody that was from the same state? I mean, you got the corn-fed linemen that come out of there. The big, white, shaved head, 320-pound corn-fed white guys that are coming out there. But I'm saying to see Latrell Sprewell, who's representing the same state as you, playing basketball in such a ferocious tenacious way as a young kid he he made it there before you and then nick made it there before you what did it mean to see latrell and then see nick the quick doing their thing that was just you know that was something that i always aspired to be you know i saw them dudes on that platform on that stage you know already doing their thing and then coming back to the neighborhoods you know spreewell had the rims that kept spinning so when they come back to the communities they you know come through and everybody saw them, you know, they was, you know, household names. They, they used their platform well. And, you know, I was just like, man, that inspired me to, you know, strive for my goals. And, and we, where you're from, you talk about it in your book, Tough Juice, my journey from the streets to the NBA. You know, I'm from New York City. As far as, you know, growing up in New York City, we think like, you know, in the, in the 70s and 80s, we thought that that was the only place that things were like tough 
and rough. Obviously, you know, as you get older, you hear about, and it's all from hip-hop, really. Yeah. It's like you start to hear about the West Coast, and you start to hear about the dirty, dirty. You know, unfortunately, no disrespect, uh, there hasn't been no hip-hopper who's put Milwaukee on the map, but hearing about you, hearing about Latrell, and hearing about what it was like to grow up in Milwaukee, what was it like in that area? You said you were, you were, it was close to Chicago. What, did it, what was it like growing up in, in Wisconsin for you? Uh, you know, it was it was different because, you know, you was exposed to, you know, the neighborhoods and like every neighborhoods or in the inner city, you was always exposed to, you know, seeing violence at a young age. You was exposed to, you know, seeing drug dealing. You was exposed to seeing all the things that you shouldn't see at a young age. And, you know, me being a youngster, you know, I was intrigued by that. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? I was intrigued about you know, seeing, you know, my uncles bringing garbage bags of money into the household, mm. and that was something that I was exposed to. So you're going to tell me as a, as, as a 7th, 8th, ninth grader to go to school, sit in a, a, a hot box, you know, for 8, 9 hours, and then come out, and in those 8 or 9 hours, you had made five, $6,000, right. you know, and, and, and I saw that, and I was just intrigued by it, and then that's what I started doing. I started hustling instead of going to class. And how off the rails did you get? How close were you to sort of being a statistic, winding up either in prison or, you know, dead? Uh, you know, how close were you to that? And then how did things change? Because to go from, you know, that sort of lifestyle to go to playing at UConn, and being a high school American and eventually in the NBA, that's a that, that's like a that's literally like a road, like where you got a left turn and a right turn. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was at a fork in the road many times in my life. Uh, I think the the one that really was you know devastating was the time where I went to high school. I was a freshman at school, and you know the ATF, the Alcohol Tobacco Firearm Unit, had came to my school. They did a raid on the school looking for me. Uh, they found the 38 revolver on my possession. Uh, they found cocaine in the locker. Came and got me. Uh, sentenced me to two years in corrections. Wow. And, you know, I thought, like, that was like the changing point, the game changer for my life. You know, so when I got back out after doing that bid, you know, I was just, you know, looking at life totally differently. And, you know, I wasn't trying to get no credibility or be something that, you know, I wasn't, you know what I mean? I just, I just try to do positive as much as possible and try to exhaust that because I knew the streets was going to always be there. And, and how much basketball, when you, were, when you were incarcerated, you're in juvenile detention, how much basketball were you able to play? And when did that start to become like your focus? Yeah, when I, when I first got in there, I, you know, I was uh, exposed to about two, three hours of basketball, you know, usually when guys be playing cards in the day room and stuff like that. Um, you know, I would go out and, you know, play for canteen, you know what I mean? Because my mother my mother was on, uh, you know, government assistance. She was working, but she was on government assistance, single-parent household. So, you know, I would go out there and just play for canteen and try to up, uplift my canteen. So, you know, I was playing for meals, you know what uh. I mean? Like really grinding out there, playing, like, you know, playing for a bigger brunch, a bigger everything. And that's how I got better, you know, and that's how my competitive drive got there. All right, this is good stuff. Karan Butler. If you haven't read his book, Tough Juice, My Journey from the Streets to the NBA, it's also going to be made into a movie. Mark Wahlberg is going to produce it. I'm going to try to audition and play you. I might be out, it might be out of my age. Listen, don't discriminate. Okay, last year they made a big brouhaha over the Oscars. 
you know, and then sort of who should play what and what's what. I'm gonna make. I, listen, they might. I might have to audition. That's fine. <laughs> I don't want to put limitations on what I could do. Talk more about Karan Butler's life. Talk more about the Western Conference Finals. Everything that has to do with the NBA. Austin, Texas, South by Southwest is a two-man weave. NBA on tune to Michael Rapport and Karan Butler. You know, the people have spoken. We are a five-star podcast. We've even got soft-ass t-shirts to prove it. Anytime you hear something on the I Am Rappaport podcast that is five-star worthy, go to iTunes and give us five-star reviews. You could do it as many times as you want. Leave us a review. We see everything. Ask a question. ILO us. Whatever you want. Hit up iTunes. Give us a review. The good, the bad, the indifferent, whatever you want. We want to take over iTunes. They still don't show us the love we deserve. Yo, all soft ass I am Rappaport stereo podcast t-shirts are available at districtlines.com forward slash I am Rappaport. We got the five star stereo podcast tee, the I am Rappaport stereo podcast zip up and pullover hoodies, the full Iverson t-shirt, the Stickman t-shirt collection, the I don't fact check, the hard body karate t-shirt for men and women. Go to districtlines.com forward slash I am Rappaport. Gamertag Radio is headed to E3 2017. E3 is one of the biggest events for Gamertag Radio, and you don't want to miss this. Join host Danny Pena, Paris Lilly, and Peter Toledo direct from the convention center floor. What are the plans for Microsoft? We're going to see more new titles from Sony PlayStation. And how about Nintendo? Interviews, roundtable discussions, previews, hand-on impressions, and more. E3 2017 coverage on Gamertag Radio. June 11th through the 15th. Gamertagradio.com or play.it forward slash Gamertag. Stay out of their lane. It's Two Man Weave with Michael Rappaport and Karan Butler. Ilya Sova, the Butler for three. Down it goes for Karan Butler, who's got 37 points. Live from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. All right, we're back. Two Man Weave. Karan Butler and myself, Michael Rappaport. We're doing it. The indie rock might be looming in the background, but don't let that distract you from the conversation at hand. It's the NBA on TuneIn. Talked about the East. Talked about the, uh, the past. I'm going to get into the present of the West. So when you're, when you're guarding Steph Curry the last few years, you're playing in the NBA. What is your opinion of Steph Curry's career? I mean, he's not even done yet. He's he, only, what is he, 29? 29 as of... Yesterday. A lot of tread on the tires for a little guy. But I mean, Steph Curry's about 6'3", right? Yeah. With, with 185 pounds with a pair of, of uh, skinny jeans and some wet Timberlands. <laughs> okay, I love Steph Curry. And also, speaking of Steph Curry, do you have his number in your phone? Yeah, I do. Okay, so could you text him and say, listen, this isn't <laughs> coming from me. It's coming from Michael Rapport. Michael Rapport's a humongous fan. I have a picture of me and Steph Curry. Okay, I, I've been walking. I've been rocking with Steph since he was at Davidson because I've seen his father play. I had the fortune of getting hip to him first very early. But can you say, Steph, my man, and actually passes around the whole Golden State Warriors uh, team. What's up with the barber? You ain't got no barbers in Oakland? 
Somebody get some, like, the whole team needs a, a proper barber. First of all, Kevin Durant, I don't know what's going on with your dome piece. <laughs> okay, Clay Thompson is lined up real nice and proper, but Steph Curry, this is a guy, he's married, he's got a beautiful wife, beautiful family. family. His wedding pictures, he wasn't lined up real nice, real proper. He knows better than that. Even his pops, the great Wardell Curry, keeps the fresh cut. Where did he get look? He was obviously raised fantastically, comes from a beautiful family. But what are you doing? Like, can you text him and say, yo, Steph, what's up with your dome piece? Once you start, once, once you start. <laughs> That's not once, a receding thing. No, but That's once you choice. start, once you start playing with it and you get the wrong barber. No, no. You know, because sometimes, like, they want to give you the Cali lining. What's that? You, they try to make it up. They, like, sometimes you go to a barber and they be like, look, I want your lining to be where I want it to be. Listen, Steph Curry has access to a lot of things, okay? His wife, she, I have her cookbook. I follow. I, this is no disrespect to anything about Steph Curry except the fact that I feel like he's doing a disservice to him. I want you to text him right now, live on the air, and say, Michael Rapport says, what's up with your barber, and why doesn't the team have a proper barber there? Have, have any of y'all ever got a haircut in California? This guy's got a Listen. nice haircut. Look at him. He's lined up. They got he a nice face. He Steph hasn't been Curry. in California in a while. Steph Curry would wish to have such a good haircut. <laughs> Listen, when you go to a barber in California, they'd be like, yo, what up, my man? Yo. Yeah, they, they, they make up your line, and they'd be like, yo, this will look better on you. You'd be like, yo, give me a low-cut Caesar with the sides, thin out the side. They'd be like this. Yo, I'm going to give you something a little better than that. But, but Clay's sharp. Clay, Clay is looking fantastic. I'm trying to tell you. Listen. All right. All right. Fine. You, listen, I'm just saying, maybe you don't want to do it on air. Maybe he'll catch feelings. You don't want to put him on spot. But at some point, Karan, you know, you're, 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 you're a contemporary of this guy. You need to tell him. Somebody needs to tell him. I've done it publicly, and he doesn't want to acknowledge. You need to tell him, yo, fix your dome, dude. Get a brush. Get yourself a wave cap, start from scratch, and fix your whole program. I don't want to throw him off his rhythm right now. He needs to be thrown off his rhythm caught, right now. He just caught his flow a little bit right. on his birthday. All so right. let's, let's, let's try to ride it out for a minute. I'm trying to do a high-end basketball program, and you're talking about people's haircuts. No, you brought that up. Uh, no, no, no. We're going to listen to the team. <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to do stats and analytics, and next thing you know, you're talking about Oh, I'm going to tell Steph Curry his wig piece is messed up. I'm trying to talk hoops here, <laughs> man, man. listen, I'm trying to straddle the fence. I'm trying to be a good dude, you know, because I'm going to have to go in those locker rooms and get the interviews. I can't just be blazing nobody hairline and stuff like Bring that. Bring me in there. I'm telling them the truth. I'm not, I'm not trying to blaze them, roast them, or snap on them. I'm trying to save you from yourself, Steph Curry. <laughs> that whole crew, their wig game is suspect. I told you it's the California barbers, though. Nah, they don't want to go there listen, and get man. zeked. Nah, man. Listen. Karan, you were you were hurt 2011, the Dallas Mavericks. You got injured in the playoffs? Yeah. Okay. You got a ring for that championship Absolutely. season. Absolutely. Okay. Now, I ain't no Dallas Cat Mavericks fan, but that dismantling of that Miami Heatles team, that LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, your guy, and Chris Bosh, they created that. And they were fantastic when it was cooking. How beautiful was it to see? These guys are chest bumping, they're singing and dancing. The handshake. The handshaking, you're playing patty cake, you're playing hopscotch, you ain't won nothing. How beautiful was it for you guys? Jason Terry was offended personally. Dirk Nowinski 
Deshaun Stevenson redemption after the Washington days that we was there. And That's right. He was traded. on that. Did they bring him in there solely so he could get in LeBron's, get in his, get in his chess piece like Absolutely. Jerome's niece between, on her way home from Jones Beach? Between <laughs> – that was cold how you put that, too. Between him and Deshaun Stevenson, they took that personal, you know, to – you know, obviously you can't stop LeBron. He's a great player. But just to slow him down, and then you had the addition of – you know, Corey Brewer doing the little things, Pedro Stojakovic, and you had J.J. Barea, who was a game changer because... He was unbelievable. Yeah, he was, you know, little Puerto Rico. You know, he was getting into the paint, doing all the little things. You know, a, li- a little man, but playing a, a big role, uh, a giant role. You know, um, you tip your hat off to him. Tyson Chandler, you know, sacrificing himself in the middle, you know, being that presence, you know, defending, deflections, you know what I'm saying, giving us that energy and that effort that we so desperately needed, and then Dirk, you know, top 25 players all time, Hall of Famer, 30-plus thousand points. You know, just doing all the little things, you know, fade away, one leg, perfect. You know what I mean? Was, was that just fantastic? I mean, it must have been a part of you refreshing, but inevitably, you were there, you were part of the team. No, nah, you, know, you know, I felt special because, you know, I was part of the fabric of that team. And, you know, just going up to that point, I already knew, you know, second lead scorer on the team at the time, I went down. And, you know, this is the thing about, you know, basketball, you know, injuries happen and you have to be able to, you know, continue to stay in the fabric of the game and of your team in order for them to be successful. And, you know, I believe in things happen for a reason. And I needed to be Mm. on that sideline cheering my guys on because, you know, the way I reacted was important. And I showed that, you know, I wasn't going to break. You know what I mean? I needed them to continue to move forward and do what they needed to do. And that's exactly what happened. What kind of an owner? He's so scrutinized. I've always liked him when I've met him personally. I think he's been great for the NBA. Um, what kind of an owner was Mark Cuban? Uh, and, and what was that like, you know, playing under him? Because he seems like he's so emotionally invested in the team. Sometimes people think to a fault. But what is being uh, on the Dallas Mavericks under Mark Cuban really like? People got to understand, like, nine times out of ten when, when an owner – purchase a team or, or buys the team they're they're so wealthy like the team is a hobby mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it's like a piece of art yeah like you know like, like I, I got a couple of picassos i'm gonna get a basketball team also yeah, yeah I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have a basketball team i'm gonna have you know i'm gonna have this i'm gonna have like i got an island off of tahiti yeah it's, it's a I'm hobby i'm gonna buy the uh i don't know the uh dallas cowboys yeah but like when you have someone that really takes you know pride and want their fingerprints on the shape shape up of the team and how it's going to be structured, you know, uh, how they're going to, you know, abide by certain rules and criteria and the makeup, like, that's important. And Mark Cuban's the type that connects the fans, the community, and everything with the team. And, you know, he's passionate about it, and it's unprecedented in what we see today. Uh, I'm going to just rattle off a few questions. You played in a few locker rooms for a few organizations. Best locker room that you ever played for, where he was like, yo, this is dope. Like, what was the best facilities I, that you ever played for? I it been, matters because, because you, when you came into the league, not every team locker room was high tech. The old Madison Square Garden, and I'm not talking about the old one, before it was revamped, I was in the locker room. Okay, listen, I like the history of it all, but I don't want to be in the same stall that uh, Patrick Ewing was throwing his jock straps on. I want this place sterilized, looking fantastic. Now they got it nice in there. It's nice. Dallas Mavericks, known for having the nice towels, 
Yeah. Okay. So Clippers. He had, the, he had the Xbox. He had, he had the, everything. So what was the best facility? I had a few, man. I played in some great organizations, some great cities. You know, I had. Uh, you don't have to say which is the worst. You could just say what's the best. Just locker room, sort of like, like the best craft service. Like, you know, we're getting good meals. Like, this is dope. I feel like a pro. OKC. At the OKC. I, 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 I got to ask you, and I'm sure you probably get asked this a lot. You played with Russell Westbrook. He's continuing to get triple doubles. He's got more triple doubles. He's got half of his games, he has triple doubles this year. Okay, he's going to average a triple double. No doubt. How hard is it to get a triple double? And just, you played with, with a younger version of Russell Westbrook. How much better has he gotten? Just, just give me your whole Russell Westbrook spiel. So how hard is it to get a triple double? You know, I've played, I've played 15 years in the NBA. I've obtained three. Mm. And I consider myself a very, very good all-around player. Yes. Jason Kidd, you know, guys like that. I don't know what the range is, but you can only imagine that those guys probably totaled, uh, you know, 100, 100 or something, whatever the case may be. Oscar Robinson was the last one to average a triple-double <laughs> for a complete season with 41 for the year. And now you look at guys like Russell Westbrook, James Harden, who's almost total on that on a night-to-night basis. And not only is he doing it, but he's doing it in a, in a form in which he's going out there and getting 30 points, 10-plus rebounds, 10-plus assists at the guard position, which he's not the biggest guy, but he's super talented with an unbelievable motor and with an unbelievable will to win. And what I've known with his development is it's more centered around him, uh, the team, and he's more willing to pass. And once he started doing that, pass first, and still being aggressive with that motor and with that energy, all the guys have bought into the system, and that's why they're running harder. That's why they're running the lanes. They're running faster because they know they got an opportunity every time he gets the ball. He's a one-man fast break show, and if you run, he's going to find you, but if not, He's going to do something good. Something's good going to happen, and he's become must-watch television. Does he ever take, like, what's Russell Westbrook like? I mean, one of the things that's crazy about watching him as a fan, his interviews, he's got the voice of, of Walter Payton. I remember when I was a kid and I first heard Walter Payton talk, I was like, he sounds like Michael Jackson. Like, he's jumping over people, running through people, punching people. Same thing with Russell. He's the most tenacious player that I think I've ever seen. And we're talking about guys that when I think of just pure tenacity, Allen Iverson, Latrell Sprewell, you know, even in a different position, Moses Malone. But Russell is just, for him to do it 84 feet, is it 84 feet or 92 feet? 92. See, I play the game at 84 feet. Excuse me. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. It takes some, some, some feet out of it. Yeah. But he plays, you know, he'll grab the rebound and go coast to coast full speed. You know, I mean, is Russell Westbrook, like, is he just have, like, a freak stamina? Or is it just will? There's got to be. I mean, it's, what is his deal, like, what, like, and is his downtime? Have you ever had coffee with him? Like, he can't drink coffee. Russell Westbrook on coffee. He do to do. He do to do. He do to do. He do to Mountain Dew, man. That's, you know, Mountain Dew Extreme. Yes. You know what I mean? Is that the drink of NBA champions? That's the drink of the champions. And Mountain Dew, it's got that extra extreme. Extreme. Don't forget the extreme. You got to do the Mountain Dew extreme. Yeah. That's like a tip Russ. right there. Why you didn't tell me this when I was still trying to make a, 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 a jump into the league, man? I didn't know myself. I'll still be out there right mm. now. 
Mountain Dew Extreme. Yes. Yes. Okay. So when you need that Russell Westbrook. Hey, man, I'm the plug. I just gave it to you. Mountain Dew Extreme with a good trainer. You in there. Mm. 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 So, so, so Russell Westbrook, I mean, in, in terms of his work ethic, you know, when you were with OKC, I mean, what's his story? What's his deal? Like, when, when he's working out, when you guys are in practice, they, this, is he full tilt? Yeah, you know what? He, he works smart, and he's extremely crafty. You know, when you come in, he's the first person. Him and KD was always the first two individuals at the arena, at the practice facility, working on their craft, watching film on themselves, the, the game prior, chalk talk. And then they go out there on the court, and they get their reps in. And what I mean by their reps is they're getting shots on the court in, in, in places where they get shots in the game. Mm-hmm. And then things that you may see on a pick and roll, like you may see a guy, a big show, a four or a five man, that's a power forward or a center. If they show on the pick and roll, the coaches a show, sticks a hand out, plucks at the ball. Russell Westbrook, he dive at the guy, he retreats, mm. and then he attacks the outside leg. So you saw him working on that craft night to night, you know, day-to-day, practice-to-practice. And now you just see it's like it's effortless. Now, you talked about uh, Westbrook and OKC. The one thing I want to double back in, the Oscar Robertson of it all. Okay. 1961-1962. All right, Karan Butler is a very, very well-respected player. Tough, hard-nosed athlete. 1961-1962, you'd average 35 points. 20 assists, 20 rebounds a, a game. And, and, and I, don't, I say this with no disrespect to the great Oscar Robertson, uh, but I've yet to see any highlights of him dribbling with his left hand. <laughs> I feel like comparing what Russell's doing in this era with the athletes, the technology, the analytics, the evolution of man. <laughs> now, don't look, don't look away, Karan, because I want to hear your take on this. In my opinion, the not-so-great Brian Scalabrini They'd be, refer- they'd be referring to his triple-double if he played then, okay? Steven Adams would average a triple-double, okay? What do you think about these comparisons to athletes 40 years ago? It's no disrespect to Oscar Robertson. It's no disrespect to Bill Russell, who, in my opinion, I think that that, that story is a great story. He did so much for the game, endured so much. But there's a reason why no one's ever going to break that record, okay? He was playing against my Uncle Saul. <laughs> he was about 6'4". 216 pounds, okay? What, what, do you, what is your take on the, the old guys versus the... You know, like it's, so, it's so hard to compare generation. They were playing in Chuck Taylors, flying in coach. Some guys in the NBA noted all-stars. They couldn't even make a living playing professional basketball. They had jobs in the offseason. I'm very passionate about this because I don't like to take shots at the Havlicek's, the Dave Cowens, even, even my Knicks guys. You know, but, but what is your take on this whole thing? Like, like, Oscar Robertson is the benchmark, yet there's no footage of him, no disrespect, making a lamp with his left hand. I mean, he, he is because he's still the benchmark because he's the standard because he's the only guy ever to do it. And in our lifetime, in my lifetime, I've never seen it done. You know what I mean? I've never seen a guy go out at the YMCA and average a triple-double in the YMCA league. Right. You know what I mean? Boys and Girls Club League, any league. You know what I mean? I think it'd be hard for me to go out there and play with a bunch of scrubs and do that. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's not realistic because it's so much. One of the games you may have eight assists or seven assists. So it's, it's a hard task to do. So right. when somebody accomplished something like that, you tip your hat off to them. Okay. And then when you talk about some of the older guys and the legends and you look at the astronomical stats. And 100 points like that, in a game. Again, 
May or may Will, not happen. Where's the film? Where's the Zapruder film? All I know is Will Chamberlain scored a hundred. Will, Will had a picture scored. like this. Like, he yeah, had I got a hundred. Like you know what? You could, I could take a picture, say I got a hundred points too, and I don't have to have a problem. Have to prove it. It's one of the great myths of all time. Whether or not the great Will I'm rolling, Chamberlain, I'm fantastic, with Will. fantastic stick man. By the way, his his work is a uh, is documented. Um, but but uh, I mean, I, I guess I understand it because in football you can say. You know, Jim Brown played at a different time uh, and all that stuff. This is the two-man we were getting into all of it and then some. Uh, the playoff picture is shaping up right now. The Cavs, Celtics, Wizards, Raptors, Hawks, Bucks, and the Pistons and the Heat. Now, you played for two of my, two of my favorite coaching personalities. The great Stan Van Gundy. And I he's a disciple of who? Pat Riley. Amen. And his brother Jeff Van Gundy. Absolutely. What did you like about Stan Van Gundy, who is currently duking it out with Spolstra in the heat? Who's his disciple? Uh, who, Spolstra? Pat well, Riley. Stan, but Stan had the, the team first, and Spolstra was under him, so it's just good to see the levels and the connections right there. Do, so do you see it, the similarities? Like, are you surprised by that? Absolutely, in the style. So, like, you look at those two teams in, in Miami and in the Pistons, like the Pistons always been a great second-half team. And then – you know, you look at Tibbs in Minnesota, you know, Minnesota caught on on the second half, you know, because they're starting to pick up concepts, you know, Cat and those guys. And, you know, losing Levine was uh, huge, but they're starting to pick up the concepts defensively and they're going to hold they're going to hold the hat on defensive end. And then the offensive stuff is going to take care of itself. They're going to get turnovers and things like that, protect the paint, create a, a pace of the game off of that. And that's what the Pistons and the Heat's going to do. Every night they bring a lunch pail. They play a certain style, a certain way, night in and night out. They got a system. They stick with it. They lose by it. They win by it. And they, everyone's bought into it. And that's why they're going to be a tough out. You know what I mean? So, like, with the Bucks and with the Bulls losing Dwayne Wade for the rest of the season, man, speedy recovery, you know, it's, it's, it's wide open for both, both of those teams. And the Bucks got to play really good basketball going forward to stay in the mix because otherwise, you know, you're going to see the seventh spot – in the A spot, filled by the Piston and the Heat, and the Bucks looking on the outside of the uh, outside of the playoffs. Now, my guy Stan Van Gundy, crazy, he always sounds like he's had a rough weekend. It could be Wednesday, and he sounds like I'm always like Stan. What rock did you crawl out from underneath of? Come on, I'm down here. Listen, Karan, I need you to get out there and body up. Come on. Let's get a cheeseburger after the game, Karan. But right now, I need you to get a couple of rebounds and man down on defense. Get that rebound. He was right in front is it of hard? You. It's the fourth quarter. You go into a huddle. You got this lunatic, and it's proven his brother's a lunatic. So I love the Van Gundy brothers. I, can you hook this up? I would love nothing more to go on vacation with the Ryan brothers of the NFL and the Van Gundy brothers. And, and, and like, talk about the hangover. I think we could get wacky. Okay, we can get wacky. Me, Jeff, Stan, Rex, and, 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 and uh, what's, the, what's the, uh, the other Ryan brother, the one who looks like a Rob, the, the, the big Lebowski. I mean, when you come into a fourth quarter, you're in a tight game, and you're playing with Stan Van Gundy. You do not want to be in that huddle. Is it, is it hard to keep a straight face sometimes? It is. You know, it's the, it's the first quarter with Stan. You know, if you, the first quarter, he's on, you know, some coaches on five then because there, there's, so many, there's so many different emotions in the game, and then you got to channel them because you're dealing with 12, 13 different personalities, right? And then you got the assistant coaches. You got the assistant head, the player development guy, boom, boom. So you got three other coaches right there. So you like, 
You're trying to stay level. But Stan is like at 12. All the time. Is he a good teacher? Is he a good coacher? One of the best. A good coach? One of the best I've ever seen. Why? What, what is it about it? What, is it? what does a coach need to get a professional basketball player's attention and respect? You have to have a true understanding of the game, which he has. And you can tell. How quick can you tell? From the, from the things that you tell, the things that he's telling to you or preaching to you. Like, you can spot BS when it's BS. You know, you call it. You know, like, you can't sell me that when I go through that door, mm-hmm. it's, it's not another show going on and TV's on the wall. I've seen it already. But you're like, no, it's, it's cool in there. Just It's a staircase and you walk through and that's it. No, I saw, I saw other people in there. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. It's a staircase and you just walk through. Like, Stan, it's, it's, a, it's a clear picture of what it is. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to let you know what it is. Look, we play the Cavs tonight. LeBron's a problem. I don't know. You got to figure it out. He can do X, Y, Z good. One of the greatest players. This is what it is. You know, it's going to be hard. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Some coaches may go in there and be like, hey, we can stop him. They, they give you the I have a dream speech. And it's like, okay, let's go do it. Like, yeah, come on, man. Like, be, be realistic. You know what so I mean? Stan is like, Karan, I know LeBron's going to score 46 <laughs> points on you. I don't care about that. Make I don't want you to. Don't get upset about that. Keep your head on the swivel. If you get a chance, knock him on his ass. I don't yeah. care. Fight, 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 fight. I, I, I need to hang out with Stan Van Gundy, man. I want to take him out for meatballs uh, uh, and Chinese food. I just want to see him eat. That's <laughs> Now, tell me about the rest of this Piston team. No, I'm serious, man. Can you hook that up? See him eat. I want to take him and Jeff out. Those are my guys. Jeff and Stan Van Gundy, man. Let's go. Like, I want to take them snowboarding or something. We'll be right back here, NBA on TuneIn. Tim and we will be right back, live from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. It's the NBA on TuneIn, your home for the NBA Finals. Gamertag Radio is headed to E3 2017. E3 is one of the biggest events for Gamertag Radio, and you don't want to miss this. Join host Danny Pena, Paris Lilly, and Peter Toledo direct from the convention center floor. What are the plans for Microsoft? We're going to see more new titles from Sony PlayStation. And how about Nintendo? Interviews, roundtable discussions, reviews, hand-on impressions, and more. E3 2017 coverage on Gamertag Radio. June 11th through the 15th. Gamertagradio.com or play.it forward slash Gamertag. What is the rationale? Have you, you know, when you were in your prime, when you were in the thick of it, have you ever, would you ever consider sitting out a game if it wasn't an injury thing? No, nah, you know, you, you try to play. I mean, I've, I've broken my hand. I tore my labrum and I still played in games because, you know, the thing was back then was you wanted to show that you was borderline a superhero. You know what I mean? That's what you wanted to feel like out there. Like you wanted to show guys that you was different, you know what I mean, from the pack. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's, that's how you got paid. Like, now you get paid through analytics. He can run and cut and get 15 deflections in the half court. That's how you get paid now. Like, your, your agent come up with these, these sheets and these forms. Like, but look how many deflections he had on a Sunday in a big game. Like, come on, man. Like, and that's, what, that, that's why you see guys getting these astronomical contracts. Wow. And, and, you know, back then we was just like, we wanted to play. You wanted to be out there. You know, you want to show that you was durable, that if I get hurt, like, the fans can rely on seeing me out there on the court, giving my best effort. You look at guys like Allen Iverson and guys like that, you know, he twists his ankle, he back on the court. You know what I mean? That's why he's one of the best 
little big mans of the game in the right. history of the game because no matter what, Allen Iverson was out there. You can question his character and, and, and decisions that he made off the court, but as a basketball player, he was there. He was reliable. You can depend on him. He wasn't going to give you the best of everything he had in the tank. Even if he was running on fumes, he wasn't going to give you his heart and soul on the court. When you were you, – I mean, you just – you articulated it right there. What, what's – you got any Allen Iverson stories? He didn't seem like he was a talker. Allen Iverson, like, you know, like the little dudes, you know, like to me, when you're that small, first of all, there's a little bit of, I mean, nuts. To even think, when you're six feet tall, six one. 165 pounds, you're like, yo, I'm going to be that dude in the NBA. Like, you're, talk about get him as a TED Talk. Talk about different thinkers. We got like Muggsy Bogues, 5'3". You know, Isaiah Thomas, this, this version of Isaiah Thomas. These are little guys. But Allen Iverson, what do you remember about playing against him, going against him? Like, is there anything specific that you could tell us about AI? I mean, he was wired different. Obviously, he was aggressive. He was a guy that... You know, always played the game and, and wore his emotions on his sleeve, played with all of his heart. You know, uh, I remember being in Washington, and he came, you know, came to the paint, and we had a big lineup. It was me, myself, uh, 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 Antoine Jameson, and uh, Brendan Haywood. Brendan's seven-footer. You know, he slams him, he bangs him. Allen Iverson hits the ground. You know, he, got, he jumps back up, and I'm like, I'm like, man, every time he come in here, man, knock his ass to the ground. And he looked back at me. He said, I'll be back. You know what I mean? Like, and he came back, you know, probably hey, about 40 times. It wasn't nothing. Like 46, you know? So it was like, he just, he, he different. Like, you know what I mean? Like, guys are wired different. Like, just because you, you're going to bang, like, I'm going to keep coming. You're going to have to do that all night. The four other times I see you the rest of the season because we're in the Easter Conference. Like, that, you respect that. That's why when he walks through the hall and everything and in the Hall of Fame, you know, you salute him. You're like, man, he... He deserves that. Right. You know, man, that was earned. That wasn't given. That was earned. Right. He, he, he wasn't afraid of that bump. Yeah. Are you, li- are you liking doing analysis, breaking the games down, Karan? Man, I love it. You know, it keeps me close to the game. And, you know, I have a different point of view, obviously, playing it. And, you know, I always looked at the game differently. So, you know, it's good just to, you know, add your perspective and give your perspective. Yep. And, you know, the, the, the players always respect it because I've always been a guy that was always honest and real. And they respect that. Well, I'm, I'm going to throw some names at you, get some, some perspective, uh, some insight. Uh, the two-man weave is usually me and Kenyon Martin. We have the great Karan Butler uh, uh, filling in for him. But Kenyon's not here right now. What was Kenyon Martin like as a player? Man, Kenyon was a beast. Why? For numerous reasons, because, you know, he had an edge. Um, obviously, he had a motor. He was a great shot blocker. Great shot blocker. You know, a guy that, you know, was very vocal on the defensive end. You know, a guy that you can put in any system uh. and he can perform well. He was one of the best athletes of our time. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, you got to think about it. You look at a guy like Kenya, you know, Kmart, playing with Cincinnati, you know, having the leg injury and still being the number one pick and then going on to having the career that he had. You know, just and until this day, I, I saw Kenyon in, in, in Woodland Hills like last weekend. Uh-huh. Still looks the same. His right. body. Right. And, and can take off and dunk. And I can't wait to see the big three because he's going to be playing in it. And I can't wait to see him out there being physical and banging on them boys. You know, him, stack, all those boys. So it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, speaking of the big three, like how are these like, – these guys are not playing around. First of all, are you going to be involved with the big three? Are you no. going to play? No, I'm not going to be involved. But I'm definitely going to watch and support. I'm now, definitely going to watch. I don't expect, when you got guys like Kenyon Martin, Stackhouse, 
Allen Iverson. Like, I, I don't expect this to be like uh, uh, some sort of charity match. I expect, dude, like Kenyon Martin only plays one way. Steven Jackson only plays one way. No, they're going to play hard. You know, Cats going to go out there and, you know, put on a demonstration. You know, like the fans, the fans are going to come. They're going to show up. They're going to support. They want to see, you know, some of their favorite ex-players, you know, perform on that stage and see if they still got it, you know? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a lot to say, you know, I'm 40 years old and I still can go out there and do some of the things that I once did when I was in my early 20s or in the prime of my career. Right. Like, and to go out there and do that and be capable of doing it, it's, it's you know, your fan, like your, your fan base and your followers, the people that support you and love you that got a lot of equity in you as a fan, you know, that's, you, know you want to go out there and perform well in front of them. All right, the next name I'm going to throw at you just, just surpassed the 30,000-point the mark. Very well known down here in the big state of Texas, or there's a division between San Antonio, Houston Rockets. Best European player all time, yeah. top 25, Hall of Famer, 2011 NBA champion, my teammate, Dirk. What made him so great? Give me, give me the details. Don't give me, don't, don't give me the broad show. Let's get real basketball nerd stuff here. Okay, Karan, give it, give it to me. Give me the details. Give me the breakdown. Other than what we know about the kickback, you know what? I could do a kickback. Okay, I could do a kickback. I'm not saying can I can you do, make it? And no, I'm not saying I can make it. But give me, give me something. Give me something. What made this guy so great consistently? How fun was it to watch him? You were injured during that 2011 season. How fun was it for to watch him crack the Miami Heatles real nice, real proper? Man, let me tell you. So a seven-footer a seven with a jumper, he was the first of his kind. I think he changed the game. I think he's the reason why you see a lot of stretch fours. Like everybody, like, I need a stretch four. I need a shooting four. Or I'm going to play small. I need to play smaller because I need a guy at that four position that can guard the four position but, you know, still be versatile in it. I think Dirk changed that whole dynamic at that position. You know what I mean? Like, because you can't sit a five-man at Dirk because a five-man are used to being physical and playing on the body, you know. But now you got to run. You mean you got to run from the paint all the way out there and guard the German assassin. Mm. And not only that, his, his basketball, I'm going to talk about his worth ethic first. Okay. You know, every city that we went to, he always reserved, whether it was a high school gym, a college gym, him, Stacy, Dion, they always had a spot where he would go and he would get his shots up. Jason Terry, same way. And wait, wait, you're on the road, and he, they would find out the team would find every the city. They, so he needs to, like, he would get in the gym. He'd go get his shots. No, no cameras, no nothing. Uh, no, it, it, and you know what? He was never about like, you know how some people need. Oh, they go. Oh, I did. I, I, I did my so and so amount yeah. of shots. I gained sixty pounds Put for this. That out That's your job. World. Put it out there in the world. Like, you know, some get, people need to let everyone know that. Same thing with acting. Oh, I lost 40 pounds for this role, and I only ate carrot juice. That's your job. You, you see the construction worker down the street. He said, I was up. in the sun for 14 hours. He's not, he's not talking about, Doug, he pat me on the back. That's your job. And he took so that's much your pride job. in it. And he took so much pride in it. And that's why I respect it. I, I respect him so much. He's a superstar that never cared about, you know, being extra, being glorified in that way. It was just he did what he had to do. I think Mark Cuban saw that a long time ago. He's a genius. Uh, he gets it, man. He, he, he gets it. He understands the game of basketball on a whole nother level, man, and that's why he's with the greats. Coach Rick Carlisle, obviously Dallas is going through a transition period now. This is a winner. 
keeps a clean cut. What, 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 is, what is Coach Carlisle like? You know, I, you talked about uh, uh, my man Stan Van. I love Coach Carlisle because he has so many different ways and methods of attacking the game. And he's one of the guys that, just like a player, right? Like if I go in the game, I can, I can realize the adjustments immediately. Uh-huh. But from a visual standpoint, like if I'm a fan and I'm watching the game on TV, like I may be guarding the guy and I'm like, oh, okay, shit. It, I, it, he, he's rolling. He, I, got, I can't give that or take away this. You know, like I, I can't do that. The chalk talk was all wrong. I got to make this adjustment. Ah. Rick Carlisle sees it already as well. He's that tuned in. And as, a, and as a fan, you may not check it out or, or catch it until the TV highlighted. The TV highlight the situation and show the play where LeBron scores four times in a row going right. All right, we need to get on his right. You know, we need to send him left. We need to make him go downhill. We need to send the tag guy that's on at the, at the box to come over and jam him so he got to give up the ball. We need to send another guy from the top of the key so the only guy is the weak side shooter. You know what I mean? Like, he's able to make those adjustments like that. Okay. Another name I want to throw at you. You played with him in Sacramento. The big trade of the year has uh, is, is done nothing for anybody. I, I, it just seems like we, we were in New Orleans. I was talking to my man Langston Galloway. The, uh, the, the Pelicans were two and a half games out at the All-Star break, and now they, they, they're, 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 they're done for the year. DeMarcus Cousins, they call him Boogie. I thought going to the Pelicans, he would lose the nickname that I personally gave him, Big Baby Cousins. When you see a guy with that much talent, and, 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 and to me, when you're whining and complaining and you're seven foot, 300 pounds, to me it's unacceptable. If you're the biggest, most talented guy on your team, okay, maybe your rookie year, your second year, but to continue to act like and, and truly believe that the world and the NBA is out to get you and always complaining, always frowning, he don't like that bump. He might say he wants that bump. He don't want that bump because every time he gets that action, He's whining and complaining. I look at it. I look at it two ways, right? Like when you when you when you search for nannies or babysitters or you know where you want to leave your kids at, do you do a, a, a thorough check or do you leave your kids with just anybody? Uh. You know what I mean? And that's how I look at some of these prime organizations in the NBA. Like you have to understand that these kids come out of nowhere from you know. Some, sometimes disenfranchised communities, you know, never had real role models or guidance. And now, you know, you incorporate millions of dollars in exposure and all these other things. And you put them in systems and in, in situations and you need to shape them and mold them on how you want them to be and teach them how to be great. Mm. Teach them how to be professional. Teach them how to dress. Teach them what they need to be doing as professionals. And I don't think Sacramento took that approach. I don't like if, if DeMarcus went to San Antonio, you think that would happen with pop? Right. Because the pedigree and the culture is different. You know what I mean? If you're in the community, I think because of the Admiral and Tim Duncan and all those guys, like they police that organization. They would be like, hey, DeMarcus, stop acting like uh, on the court. Right. You know what I mean? Like the people, they have equity and pride in that. I got you. You know, they like. You need a community to raise that situation, but, you know, you tolerated it because 
You don't know no better. So what, what, whatever they let him do, that's what he did, and then now it's gone too far. So now you expect him to change all of a sudden because he's in a new environment? Not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Like it's. I mean, what? The, I mean, what? What is he to do now? Like it's too far gone. He's eight in. I mean, the amount of stories that you have, the amount of players that you have, amount of history that you have playing in the NBA, and that's just your your, your life as a basketball player. You wrote a book, Tough Juice, My Journey from the Streets to the NBA, which is now. The rights have been bought by Mark Wahlberg and his company. Mark Wahlberg is about that producerial life. Mark Wahlberg has his hand in all sorts of stuff. Mark Wahlberg, you remember they used to call him Marky Mark? They should call him Money Mark. Money Mark and the Funky Bunch. Because they're, 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 they're counting that, 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 that paper for real. So your book, the, 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 the rights are, are, got bought by Mark Wahlberg's production company, and they're actually going to make it into a film? Yeah. Did you ever imagine that your life, before you made it into the NBA, at your lowest low, that number one, you'd be sitting here with Michael Rapport on NBA and tuning. Never, and, because, you know, I was a fan of yours, too, at the time. You know, I told you, Zebra, man. Yes. That, I used to have that on VHS. I said, hey, yo, get, bring it up. Yo, bring some noise. I told him, I was like, yo, bro, I used to watch that movie all the time. You know, that was my go-to. And, you know, now to be sitting here next, we vibing, you know, we entertain, entertaining, we working on the same network. It's just unbelievable, bro. But, 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 but you're, I appreciate that, Karam. But to go from the adversity that you came up uh, against, and, and this is all in your book, and, and, and if you never read and you hadn't got your hands on Tough Juice, My Journey from the Streets to the NBA, uh, where can people find it, Karan? Oh, you can go to Amazon.com. You can go to Barnes & Noble. Did you do the books on tape? Uh, I did not do audio. You got a good, you know, baritone <laughs> voice, emotional voice. I say we get this, this puppy of books on tape, and you can't just skip... You know, skip to making it into a movie, a major box office film. Man, I did paperback and hard copy. It did so well, man. And then it just kind of took a life of its own. And then once, you know, me and Mark partnered and it is like. I get it. I was in a whirlwind, man. All right, I talked to you yesterday uh, about, you know, the sort of, you know, when you were before you transitioned from just being buck wild. How did you wind up? You, you were incarcerated, juvenile detention. And then you got out, you, you, you were focused. How do you go from that and the stigma of that being locked down to having scholarship offers up the wazoo to getting to UConn? Like, that, those, those years seem so sort of fragile. How did you just sort of, you know, keep, keep on the straight and narrow? Because, you know, I always, I had, I had praying people around me. You know, my mother and my grandmother were strong in the church. Um... I always was a believer in the book mm. and you know no matter what I did in my life or what I was doing I always like my foundation was strong you know through Christ so you know through all my adversities and everything I've done and everything that I was doing at the time you know when I start going back to my circles you know my circles wasn't there my friends wasn't there no longer you know what I mean Andre died he got killed you know what I mean he got shot uh, you know, James Barker Jr., he got killed. He got shot. You know what I mean? All these things I saw visually, and that was my future. Right. I knew that that would be my future. Either I wasn't going to have to kill someone, someone was going to kill me in these streets, or I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life in penitentiary, you know, from doing something that I didn't have to do. Right. You know what I mean? And I had a talent. I had a niche. You know, I, I could play the game of basketball. And at this time, you know, we had one pipeline. We had one community center that had access to, 
uh, Nike, and Nike had a traveling team that was taking people out of the community and taking them all across the world and putting them on these platforms through the AAU circuit uh. where college coaches can see you. Okay. And I was just like, I got to give this a shot. You know what I mean? Like, if I can get on that stage one time and somebody see my talent and see that I'm hungry and to see, you know, and I can share my story to a John Thompson, you know what I mean? Or, you know, a Jim Calhoun or whatever the case may be, it would be a game changer for me. Right. And that's, that's, that was my mindset. That's what I was thinking. So I went to the Rumble in the Bronx. I went to the, the big uh, L.A. tournament at the time. I went to the grassroots tournament in Georgia. Dominated all of them, MVPs, and it changed my life forever. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't in that, I wasn't in that box no more. You know, so I got exposed to some different things, and then people saw me, and then they gave me more opportunities, more windows started to open, more doors started to open, and you know, it was it was a wrap after that. When when you see these young kids in the NBA on the fringe of blowing it, on the fringe of self destruction, on the fringe of you know sort of behaving themselves out of the league, on the fringe of taking things too far, on the fringe of possibly even getting, you know, in, in, in real trouble outside of the NBA. Guys like you, guys like Kenyon Martin, are you able to talk to them or when, do, do dudes need to figure it out on, the, on their own? When you see guys going broke, you know, and, and, and you know, winding up with nothing, like, do you want to, like, shake them and scream? Like, you know, like, I feel like, like a guy like you who did it and who came from so much adversity and, you know, and who's a real dude who's standing in front of you as opposed to some, you know, doctor with PhDs. You could tell these kids, yo, this is going to go by quick. You you can be replaced. In a heartbeat. You know, you could be out of this league. You could be on a highlight reel one season and then two seasons later, you're trying to get 10-day contracts, you know, uh, with teams. And you're, you're not even 30 yet. Well, this, this, this league is a revolving door. And I hate to put it in these terms, but everybody's recyclable. And that's the, real, uh, that's the reality of this game. That's the reality of the business. Uh, I always say that fans are great. They're much appreciated. But the roar of the crowd is not for you. It's for what you can do. Uh. And when you can't do it no more, they'll be cheering for somebody else. Uh. That's just the reality of this business. And I don't put my heart in it. I put my heart in things that I believe in and I'm passionate about it. My God. My my children, my family, right. family first, and then all the other things fall under that. So like I I tell I, I tell the young guys like you have you got to have a foundation. This this is how you got to believe. Like you can't go into the NBA searching for credibility. Like like you 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 got to always be humble. You know what I mean? Like don't praise yourself all the time because like when you praise yourself, you'll be humbled, and when you humble yourself, you should be praised. Like that's you know that's words. So right. like that's how you got to go about it. And I think a lot of the dudes, like, they come in it with just some of the – we got some good ones out there, but some of the guys, like, they get jaded because, you know, so much is given to them at a young age, and they just need to get humble sometime and get a reality check. Now, it sounds like AAU, in a way, saved your life. Kevin Garnett, you know, has talked about, just in terms of basketball terms, you know uh, – The old AAU. The old AAU. But now in terms of guys coming into the NBA, we're in the, middle, the midst of the, NBA, uh, the NCAA tournament. We got these kids coming in literally 18, 19, 20 years old. And the Devin Bookers are far and few between. The guys that can immediately play in the, in the NBA. 
Guys are getting drafted now off potential. Whereas not even that long ago, you had to be NBA ready to be get to get drafted. I mean, I think that, you know, shutting down the, the, the high school uh, guys, you know, there's pros and cons to that. But the quality of the league, well, what is your take on this? Is there, you know, what is your take on these guys coming out one and done kids that, that yeah, you get drafted, but you're a three-year project? Some, some guys are deserving. And then I totally agree with Kevin Garnett because the old AAU is what I come from. Right. And that was the cream of the crop. So, like, if you was in, if you was in these circuits, if you was playing on these platforms or under a certain team, like, it was, it was three teams out of Chicago, maybe two. It was one team out of Wisconsin. Uh-huh. It was one team out of whatever. It was three teams out of New York that was just like, if you came from, you know, a church. Riverside, Riverside Church. Riverside Church. Gauchos. Gaucho, yeah. It was just, it was the three teams. Right. You know, it wasn't, now it's, they got 20 teams. Right. You know, so like, you, you, see, you, you see teams now where a coach is a dad. You know, he got his kid and he put his kid with a program and he didn't like the way because he feel his kid is the next Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he can dribble two balls through the cones. Yeah, so I he can feel, do that. No, that. My kid is the next Steph Curry, so I'm going to, because I make a good living, I'm going to coach my kid and I'm going to start a team and all the kids on this block going to play on my team and we're going to have an AAU program. So now you got got 100 people thinking like that and doing that, and it's watering down the system. Mm-hmm. So now the skill set's not the same, and then now guys come in, you know, with watered-down skills. And they really they, do. Yeah, and then, then you place them in the hands of, you know, the colleges, and then, you know, people lay their eyes on them and they see the potential. So then they get drafted early with all these expectations, and then they go into a real grown man world where everything is this, politics, sharks in the water, you know, everything. Like the business of basketball is brutal. Uh. And if you place a kid and insert a kid in there without knowing the, the unknowns of the game, like the real unknowns, like it's, the, the game is unbelievable. It can take you to places where you've never been. It's great. But it's a lot of unknowns, and it can be damaging. So if you put a kid in that, you know, it can swallow. So I'm, I'm a freshman. I'm going to be a top five recruit. I see you, Karan. I'm like, yo, what up, OG? Listen, I know I'm going to get drafted by one of these, these bum-ass teams. You know, they're going to pick me. Like, what, 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 should I, what should I be thinking about, OG? What should I, what, what, what should I be paying attention to? I, I see you. I'm like that. What do you say to me? What's the, what's the, what's the first thing that comes to your mind if a young player says, Karan, man, you know, I'm about to go into the league. W- what do you got for me? Give me, give me, give me, give me your best tip. I, you know, I always, you know, tell a cat, look, man, first of all, what are, like, what are you trying to do besides the game of basketball? You got to go in there with that mindset because as we touched on, a basketball season is 140 days. Uh. A great NBA career is 1,400 days. 1,400 days is a really, really good NBA career. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I tap into that. I'll be like, look, man, you know. I'm like, yo, give me something, B. Like, tell me something, B. Work on your skill set. Okay, okay. Work on your craft, obviously. Okay. Have an have, have a end game. Like, doing the next thing. Like, do you want to, like, what, what else do you want to do? Do you want to go to radio? Do you want to go into television? You know, make connections. You know, your image is everything. You know, stay, things to stay away from. You know what I mean? Always be consistently trying to get better. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Stay goal-oriented. You know what I mean? And, you know, hit yourself 
you know, to people that done it before. You know, like you need a mentor that been in this game that understands the ins and outs. Like don't go out there and learn from trial and error. Like some things you're going to have to from a plan standpoint. Yes. But like this in a real world standpoint, man, get with somebody that understand it, that learn, like that's a vet in this and, and get under them. That's good stuff, Karan. We talk about these young guys. Off air, we were talking about this UCLA game. You follow, you follow the college game. Who's the most impressive guy coming out of the, uh, the draft this year? Who's going to be a guy that could go into the NBA next year? Markel Folks. Okay, why? Just because, like, you look at games. Like, like I, always look at, I always look at college guys. Like, I don't know what, you know, the ball kid would do, you know, on the next level yet. You know, I, I hear more about his father than I hear anything. Right. So, like, I don't know if he, he'll come and make the splash that he needs to make. I don't know what anyone would be. Like, you look at a guy like Kawhi Leonard, we never knew he would be a superstar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A uh, two-way player, and now he's the NBA Finals MVP, and he's a superstar in the game. So I look at folks, and I see him, like, he possessed things that you can't teach. He's extremely crafty with the ball. He got a little bit of Kyrie in him. Right. Then you see a little bit of James Harden. Uh, he got a knack for scoring. Left Lefty. I mean, he, he does all those things. You know, so, like, I just think, like, it's going to be an easy transition for him to the pro game. Malik Monk, this is a kid who I think is a talent, but, but just his physicality, his size – I don't think Malik Monk needs to go into the NBA. Not that John Calipari isn't saying go into the NBA, go into the NBA, because I feel like John Calipari is, is truly running a one-and-done system. Derek Smith Jr., NC State, he's a tough player, gritty player. What do you think of these two guys? And, 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 I mean, and, and will any of these coaches even try to convince kids to stay longer than, uh, than they planned? Uh, probably not. Because it's hard to, you know, with the, with the pay scale and things like that and where guys are going to be projected, particularly Malik Monk and uh, Derek Smith, you can't tell a kid that's going to make, you know, $5 million a year for the next three years. Right. And with the, you know, potential with the new CBA. Right. You know, after two years, you're talking about getting max dollars. You're talking about being 80 to $100 million guy. Uh-huh. I mean, you can't tell a guy to, you know, stay in school. Like, they're going to look at you like, like, for what? Right. Like, you know, why? Right. Like, you got to tell me, like, what's the incentive besides getting that paperwork that'll last me a lifetime? You know, so. If I say, well, stay in the, I want to help work on your footwork so when you get in the league, you'll be ready. Can I do that in the NBA? Well, I'm just saying, in the NBA, you're not going to have me here. I care about your footwork and your drop step. You're not NBA I ready. I got two years to develop, and I'm getting $10 million guaranteed. All right. Okay, if you wind up in uh, Portugal playing basketball, don't come back crying to me. Listen, <laughs> we're coming to the end here. It's a two-man weave. Karan Butler, this has been fantastic. Always, brother. I'd love to see you again on the two-man weave. Who's going to win the finals? We've got 30 seconds. You give me a name. You said Cleveland, if, 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 Cleveland Cavaliers are going to win the finals. Listen, we are going to be rocking with you, NBA on TuneIn. The two-man weave, Karan has this show five days a week. It's been a pleasure being down here in Austin, Texas. Thanks for having us at the Easy Tiger. 
The chocolate chip cookies are fantastic. And try the veal. Try the pork chops. Karat, thanks for going safe flight. Enjoy the weekend. NBA on tune and we're out. Appreciate y'all. You've been listening to Two Man Weave with Michael Rappaport and Karan Butler. Live from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. Right here on TuneIn. You're listening to the NBA on TuneIn. Your everything audio app.